Rebag is a luxury resale marketplace. They have a curated collection of investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry. Each piece is carefully vetted and verified by experts. You can buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Hermes, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. That's Rebag.com to get 10% off your first purchase with code REBAG10. A quick note before we get into the episode... Oversharing is a podcast for entertainment purposes only. It is not a medical podcast and does not constitute medical or psychological advice. Always seek the advice of your physician or mental health professional. Hello and welcome back to Oversharing. I'm Jordana Abraham. And I'm Dr. Naomi Bernstein. How's it going? It's good. I mean, it's funny. We're doing two, we're recording two episodes in, in two days because of a scheduling thing. So last week's episode, I told you that I had deleted the Instagram app and it is the next day and it is back. (laughs) (laughs) So my grand gesture is, uh, well, maybe you could share your process. What was it intentional? Was it like an impulse thing? How did you, how did you find yourself redownloading it? I found myself on, again, like on Facebook stories, which are like, it's the lamer version of Instagram. Like I'm Um. digging into the dredges (laughs) Yeah, I need to get my fix somewhere. Right. But it's funny, I was thinking this a little bit because you see yesterday it was Halloween and there's so many people with like putting pictures up and you were just talking about this, like your kids and your family costume. And it just, it's kind of funny. It reminds, it's sort of like as a 33 year old person, it kind of feels like, this is like one of the first years that like most of the people I, I feel like know, like have kids who are like, they're old enough to like, Wear a costume and wear a costume, or or even if they're not old enough, like the parents still like, like it's like a lot of people, and it almost kind of feels like Valentine's Day when you're single. Yeah, I I was thinking that, you know, and it's sometimes like I don't really, I try to not go on social media too much. I do have an account, but I, you know, and I don't, I rarely post, and part of it is I almost feel like I'm considering the people on the other side of it. You know, like I'm kind of thinking like, why do I need to put this up here? I could just send it out to a few of my close friends who I know are really going to want to do this, but I'm sure the people that, you know, are not in a relationship or the people that are not, don't have kids, like they probably, you know, they probably don't really want to see this. Maybe it's like a little annoying to them or, you know, so I'm sort of self-aware of how like being bombarded with all of this might feel if you're in a different stage of life and it's not, not something... Right. That you have. I guess it's the same way I might feel if someone's posting pictures of like them and a vacation you know, in some, yeah, yeah, vacation on the other yeah. side of the world, like, you know, relaxing right. on a floaty, you know, I yeah. guess. I'm sorry for triggering you when I've done that. <laughs> <laughs> many, Constantly. many vacation, many uh, <laughs> vacation pictures. Yeah. No, I mean, that's a, that's a good point. I think, I mean, like, Part of that's crossed my mind in terms of like sharing things and how it make up, might make others feel. But I am always brought back to the fact that, and this might sound a little callous, but I feel like your triggers are your problems to work yes. through. They're yes. not other people's, like you can't, I think there's, this was in that book that we both read, The Untethered Soul, where it's like, if you go through life just trying to like avoid anything that could make mm-hmm. you feel bad or anything, like you still have that thing. You're just like masking it with this like band-aid of, like getting it away from you but at the end of the day you still feel the same way but like the real way to get over that is to like work through it 
and then to like eliminate it as a trigger for you instead of just expecting the world to like move around in get out of the like move their way around in order to not trigger you is like a yes. much harder way to go about life. Totally. And it's true. And my my thought process on not posting things is probably the same thing we talked about in the last episode about with your kids, like allowing them to kind of struggle and not feeling like I need to protect everybody. I need to create this bubble around my kids so that they don't feel um, you know, lonely or so that they don't feel right. frustrated or so that they don't feel whatever it is. So it's sort of like, you know, that's something that I probably have to work on in myself is realizing that people are going to be uncomfortable and in pain. And my role is not to prevent that. It's, you know, as a psychologist, I guess it's to sit with them in it and help them learn how to process it. And as a parent too, same thing. And right. as a sister, I guess, like and so I'm not going <laughs> to not post pictures of my kids because I think it's going to be triggering for you or for anyone else that doesn't have kids. It's just kind of like, all right, I can still, like you said, not preventing the landmines for, you know, for everybody. Just kind yeah. of. Yeah. No, I agree. I think there's like a difference between like a sensitivity about that and like rearranging things to protect the feelings of someone who like needs to figure out a way to work through whatever that thing is. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Like when I was single, the Valentine's Day posts like did get to me. That might have been a good day for, for me to either like either not go on social media or for me to work through, you know, what that my own right, like feel the sting. feelings on that day kind of like yeah. okay i'm in this here i am i'm gonna cry i'm gonna feel you know my aloneness i'm going to just like feel this today because there's no, no yeah. other option right now other than maybe the other option is getting mad at someone for posting something or getting annoyed or getting irritable or you know being kind of a bah humbug on mm -hmm. other people's life which that's never gonna right that's not really a great way to go yeah, and I think a lot of that, again, like so bring it back to the social media stuff, is very much like a comparison thing. And everyone's always looking for like the thing that they don't have as like the ultimate thing in their life or they haven't like mastered. But what they don't realize is like they have a lot of things that other people probably look yes. at the same way. And I think if you just focus on what you don't have, that's really what leads you down that like irritable spiral. But then I think, oh, like, I have so many things that are that are like great going for me that a lot of other people might look at and feel, you know, a similar way about. So it's like no one gets it all. And it is human nature. You know, like that's how we've created everything that we've created. If we were just I mean, it's it's a blessing and a curse, right? It's a blessing because, you know, we can travel to outer space. We've created rocket ships and satellites and computers and iPhones and all this stuff by wanting the next thing by wanting right. to the better thing, the thing that we don't already have. We want to find the other thing. So there are benefits that come to that. But when it comes to our life and things that we can't control, like being partnered or like having kids or, you know, like taking a vacation to the Maldives when you have three kids that are in school or whatever, like, you know, just those are the moments where that like, go, 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 next best thing mindset is not helpful. So we kind of have to harness our own power in a way that you know is is helpful so right yeah i'm trying to remember what this i read i actually had googled like an article just because i was feeling that way is like why do we like compare ourselves to others mm -hmm. and like like you said there is a 
an evolutionary thing. Like we are social creatures. Sometimes it can be helpful if you're right. like, oh, like something's amiss. Others right. around like they me, have, they are, have a hut that doesn't leak. Like I want a right. hut that doesn't leak. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. How do I get that? You know? Yeah. Um, no, and it can be so. helpful. So I mean, to an extent, it's kind of like everything. It's like a little bit, a little bit of like a s- awareness of those around you, and and like getting with the program, as some would say, is probably helpful. But when you're, it's taken to a level that I think it, where you're like beating yourself up, that's probably where you need to, you know, take a step back and think like, what is the actual, like, why, how is this actually serving you? Right. Yep. Like you said about social media in the last episode, you have to be your own guide. You have to trust, you know, listen to your body, listen to the signals that something doesn't feel right. And you may have to shift course. You can't just like bowl through the course that you're, that you're on because you've already decided that you're on it. You may have to, and it, that leads us to the overshare that we have today in terms of like accepting where you're at and kind of being able to change the narrative a little bit. Right. And seeing your situation, I mean, we'll get into it and seeing your situation, I think from a different lens. Yes. As opposed to, because I think that's sometimes the most limiting thing is when you tell yourself a story about like a pitying story of yourself sometimes too, where then it becomes like you've created this narrative for your life, which someone else would never see. But we'll get into that. I think we'll we'll give the listeners a little more context by reading the email. There is nothing better than feeling yourself, especially when your denim looks and feels good. That's why Lee is a staple in my wardrobe because everyone is an icon in their own right and Lee makes denim so you can own your style and feel good about it. I got a few Lee pieces that I absolutely love. They've been a wardrobe staple of mine ever since I got them. I just keep basically like switching between the two or three jeans that I got. Every time that I wash them, they get more comfortable and they get more fitted and more flattering to me. I love that they flatter every body type they're timeless. So you can wear them at any point. I love that the jeans feel like comfortable yet flattering. I don't know how they do it. It's actually an art and they've mastered it. Leah's denim jacket is the one to reach for without fail. A classic. The Ryder jean jacket is the OG, what every other brand has copied for decades. Denim trends come and go, but Lee is legendary for creating denim cuts that fit your body. Their spring collection is here, so get the freshest looks and cuts before anyone else. You can find your Lee fits by visiting lee.com. That's lee.com to shop spring looks now. Hi, Jordana and Dr. Naomi. I can't tell you how much I love the podcast. I really think you two balance each other so well, and it makes me wish I had a sister. Oh, it's not that great. No, I'm just kidding. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I've been therapy averse for a long time and you guys helped me to kind of soft launch land into that. And so I'm grateful. I think my problem though is being too late, too late for therapy to help, too late for dating, too late for kids, too late for any of where I saw my life going. Essentially, I'm in my mid thirties and let a particularly intense, particularly long lingering college situationship consume my entire twenties and parts of my early thirties. Unlike Jordana, I occasionally cut it off, but didn't end it ever. Always held out hope, didn't get into therapy, and kind of slow ghosted every friend I had because eventually everyone told me what I didn't want to hear. I threw myself into becoming a lawyer, an obsessive amount of workout classes, deleted my social media, and told myself that anything but the movie ending I had written in my head for myself for 10 years was settling. So I would just take spin classes. (laughs) Sometimes... (laughs) 
<laughs> instead. Sometimes I told myself I would date when I lost five more pounds, finished Invisalign, finished a huge case after Christmas, etc. And there was always something. At 34, I kind of woke up like someone emerging from a 10-year coma. I spent all of last year throwing myself into the apps, trying to mend those friendships, trying therapy, basically trying to do a quick fix of over a decade in the six months I had until turning 35. Ultimately, though, my therapist has correctly identified that my only answer for being happy seems to be a time machine to make different choices. I'm stuck beyond stuck on the matches I would have gotten at 29 as opposed to now. The time I could have had, the trips with friends before they all got married and had kids. Everything now feels like sad, extremely pathetic crumbs of what I could have had if I did it differently when I was younger. I don't want to match with a 47-year-old in New Jersey. I want to be my 27-year-old self dating a 30-year-old finance guy at a wine bar in Murray Hill. (laughs) The dream. (laughs) I want to go to Tulum and have those girls trips I just took myself out of because I was so ashamed of being the single friend. I don't want to have to rush something for kids, but I burst into tears when people mention egg freezing. I'm going to Europe by myself. Instead of excitement, I just cry every night that if I had made different choices, I would have went at 31 on a honeymoon. And on and on. I cannot get out of the cycle. I feel like I'm intensely grieving my own life while time keeps passing. And I'm also deeply ashamed because of all of this was caused by something that ultimately wasn't even anything. I feel like I made my therapist sad with my lack of progress or ability to move beyond. And as a former straight A student, that makes me even sadder. I've gotten a million speeches on perspective and attitude, but ultimately I struggle to change them because nothing external happened to limit my options. I had every option. The choices I made were just terrible. How do I shake this? I'm honestly not sure I can, but maybe this could be a cautionary story. The saddest bitch who has no one to blame but herself. Oh, yeah. Do you think her therapist really said the only thing that could have helped her is a time machine? It sounds like what she said was, it seems like you think the only thing that could have helped you was a time machine. Oh, so she just like misheard her and she was like... (laughs) She agrees that the only right. thing she that can help me. She agrees that it's a, I'm a lost cause. Yeah, I don't think she said that. I th- I mean, I could, you know, it's funny because we've talked on here about like the motivational interviewing tactic, which is sort of like meeting the patient where they're at. So if the therapist is kind of doing the whole thing, like change your perspective and focus on what you're grateful for and help her to change, you know, to reframe negative thoughts and it's not working then the therapist may be at this point where she's saying, look, it sounds like you feel like the only thing that is going, that could have helped you is, or that could help you is a time machine to kind of be like, nothing seems to be really pulling you out of this. You're not really, you know, kind of stuck in not being willing to change your perspective. So I could see her maybe saying that like, okay, this is where we're at. What do we do with it? You know, like, how do we move on from the fact that this is not, you know, you can't, you don't have a time machine, but Now you're just stuck with this. Letting her kind of then, instead of the therapist saying like, do this, do this, do this, and her saying, I can't because this, and I can't because that, the therapist kind of like putting it in her court. Like, okay, well, it sounds like it's all pretty much a lost cause. So what do we do now? And then she might be like, well, I can't live like this forever. I got to do something, you know? Yeah, that way sounds a lot more normal than her therapist being like, well, it's too late for you. (laughs) We don't have a time machine, so you're fucked. Right. But she's just like, it's funny, like the way you write your own story as an outsider reading this story. I'm like, she's not 80. She's 35. So many people meet someone at 35 and have like their whole lives ahead of them and have like, you know, like 
that you can have kids, you can have a family, you can have everything, you can have strong friendships. Like 35 is not dead. It's just such an interesting thing to hear someone describe that age as like, it's too late for me. Like I could understand there being objectively there, there being an age where one might more reasonably think that. Right. Well, it's too late for me to have my own, to birth my own biological kids. Yeah, there's an age. It's like whatever it is, 42 or whatever the age is where it's like, that's probably not going to happen for you. 35, she still has some time. But yeah, there is an age where she's going to have to do that and she's not there yet. So I definitely agree with that. Right. And I mean, I did relate to some of the things that she was saying, especially like, it's funny because she puts her age as the issue and I would feel these things at like, 25 or 26 right like, i'm so frustrated with myself that i keep going back to this person yes. that never amounts to anything and every time i think it's going to be like the time and this is the story i've told in my head about how we're going to wind up together even when i was like actually starting to date in a more real way after that at like 26 27 thinking like i just wasted all these years being yes. like obsessed with this person but it's funny because it's just like now i mean I do now look back on it. And I'm like, it's so not a waste. I learned so much about myself yes. from, from that situation. I'm glad that you're telling everybody that you look back and you're kind of like this, you know, again, the theme of like the struggle is part of the process. It's not like the mm-hmm. thing to be avoiding. There's real growth. All growth happens in that struggle. So I'm glad that you're saying that. The thing that comes to mind with me for this listener is, and for so many of us is like, our brains are hardwired to be threatened by the unknown. Like that's just in our DNA. When we're not familiar with something, it feels very threatening. And so she's 35, she doesn't know where this partner and this baby are gonna come from. This whole future for her is very unknown. So I think what she's doing, I'm getting this all from, you know, obviously just what she's given us, but, She's a lawyer. Maybe she's a little type A. She's like, you know, exercising a lot. I think she sort of probably has this personality type where she's like, there's this unknown. How do I control it? I can't actually change it. So what I can do is I can write the ending. I can write the story. And then I won't be caught off guard when it's like a bad ending. So she's writing the ending, which is like, it's too, here's my story. I spent all this time on this guy. I wasted my life. I'm 35. It's too late for me. I've lost my friendships. I'm never going to have a family. There's the ending. And I don't have to worry about how it's all going to turn out because I've already written the story. And there's something that feels a little bit like empowering, I think, in that, which for some people, the empowerment of like taking control and writing the bad ending feels safer than... I don't know how this is going to turn out. And it, I may never have a husband and kids, but I may. Right. That's a lot more like it. it that's funny that you say that it does feel like a little more uncomfortable mm-hmm. to say it like that. Like, who knows? We'll who see. Knows? All right. I may never. And I think for a <laughs> lot of people, the idea of like never being a mother or never finding a partner feels so painful. And so like um, my life is going to have no meaning if I don't ever get to do those things that it almost, it's like, it doesn't really make cognitive sense, but I think because we're hardwired to avoid the unknown, it sort of does make sense to, you know, just say, okay, I'm just going to assume that this is going to turn out the worst case. So she's written this whole 
story and she's i think she's written the story and she's sticking to it and that's why i think she feels like some whatever's going on with her therapist i think she's feeling maybe some sadness from her or whatever she expressed because i think the therapist realized like she's written this story and she's not budging right well what's the best what's what do you think from your experience is like the way to get someone to be able to write a different story or to to deviate from this thing that they just keep repeating to themselves is truth. Right. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I think is helpful, and we've talked about it a bit on here is, and I don't know if this is going on in her therapy or not, but sometimes there's so much focus on like what to do to, pre- to make you feel better, what to do to prevent, you know, go on this app and I'll set you up with this person and change your perspective and think about it this way instead of like we've talked about in the past, just like giving her space to feel her feelings and her like being willing to feel it. It sounds like when she was in it, she was just obsessed with making it work that she wasn't really feeling it. I don't think she really felt that she was just probably like overthinking it. And then as soon as she realized, okay, this is not going to work out, she went into action mode in terms of like, okay, I'm going to rekindle my friendships. I'm going to go on dating apps. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to, whatever it was that she decided she was going to do that. I wonder if she's ever really, you know, felt her feelings in the way that we've talked about feeling your feelings. Like some people think, well, I cry and I like call my friends on the phone and I cry about my life or I talk to people and I get upset. But like, if you're thinking and judging your emotions, you're not really feeling them. Right. There's like a difference between pain and suffering. Pain is I'm crying. My body is shaking. My heart is hurting. My stomach is in knots and suffering is I'm doing all of that, but I'm not accepting it and I'm judging it and, and I'm criticizing myself over it and I'm blaming all these cognitive thinking pieces yeah. that then take you away from what you're actually feeling and turn it into this whole big story and judgment about what you're feeling. That's so true. I feel like I've read, I've heard that saying somewhere. It's like pain is inevitable. Like suffering is a choice. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, it's I, I, a choice is, makes it feel like, oh my gosh, I'm like terrible for No, it's like, your fault do, again. Okay. Right. <laughs> it's right. Really, really uh, reinforcing it's a, that, I guess. It's a choice in that you should, you know, it's helpful to just be aware of like, you can feel your pain without and be mindful of judging your pain or like exactly what this listener is doing, writing the story of how it's her fault, even her sign off, the saddest bitch who has no one to blame but herself. Aww. You know, it's, there's a lot of judgment about her sadness yeah. here. It's a lot of judgment about like that she's, you know, messed up her whole life with this guy and um, that's the part that I think is probably keeping her more stuck than anything else. Is just not letting her just feel the aloneness and the sadness and the and the fear of the unknown, and you know, getting in her head about it and creating a whole narrative around it. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I can't say how many times I've thought I just wish I had one more hour in this day. I probably do a different thing with it every day. Some days I would probably call a friend, catch up. Other days I would take a long nap. But either way, an extra hour would always really help me out. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. 
I personally have been to therapy for many years and it has been so, so helpful, not only in prioritizing what I want, what I want to spend my time on, how I want to live, but also helping me optimize my relationships and use that time more wisely, like use that time to create better bonds with people, more intimate experiences. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Overshare today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Overshare. And I get that. I get the like sort of urge to assign, like uh, analyze or assign blame or because it's it again, it's in the, if you're used to an- analyzing things or thinking things over mm-hmm. that can feel almost soothing in some way, even though it's clearly not doing you any good. And I can see also coming from where she's been the idea that to do that feeling your feelings thing sure is nice but in her i can see her in her head saying but like what is that going to do like what is how is that going to lead me to the outcome that i want how is that going to change the court my course of the course of my life even though it's mentally healthy i would say relatively objectively right i guess the idea is it's not going to lead you it's not going to change the external factors it's not going to be like oh going on a dating app or getting a setup or you know, freezing your eggs, for example, which I think is a great way to, if there's any way that she can control the outcome, that would be a good place to start. There's not much she can do to control, but that is one thing she can do that I think she's even judging herself on that, it sounds like. You right. know, like, ah, oh, I have to be that person that has to freeze their eggs. And like, there, it seems like there's a lot of judgment around that. So the idea of not judging her emotions I don't think it's going to necessarily change the outcome, although it might, because there might be a little bit of this like self-fulfilling prophecy thing, you know, we're like, yeah, I think it's never going to happen. So you put your, you know, you're putting, so you a, give out that energy. Yes. Yeah. It reminds me of the ego discussion we had with Dr. Wiener, mm-hmm. where she, you're like, okay, I'm getting in my own way because my ego is judging me for being someone who freezes their eggs because I'm yes. no one else is necessarily, I'm judging myself. Yes. So now you're punishing yourself by not doing the thing that could help you because you're because of your own judgment. Yeah. I think a couple of things aside from the feeling your feelings thing, which for those of you that didn't listen in the beginning to that episode where we talked about it, it's really just like when you're in emotional pain, turning inward, focusing on your body, the physical sensations of your body, where do I feel this pain? Do I feel nauseous? Do I feel my face filling with fluid and tears? And do I feel, you know, just really not analyzing the pain? And the analyzing the pain comes from a place of wanting to feel in control of it. If I can figure it out, I can stop it from happening. But you can't, because if you would have been able to figure your way out of it, you would have done it by now. So that's not working. You know, that's plan B. (laughs) Right. What's plan B? (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's not working. Plan B is just feel, feel it in your body. And that's going to help you learn to accept that, like, you're not going to die from feeling this. You're not going to, you know, there might even be some actual relief, like emotional release of negative energy in actually feeling your feelings without attaching them to thoughts that make it feel 
a lot worse than it really has to be, all that judgment stuff. So feeling her feelings is one. And the other one, it's interesting. I saw another, I don't have experience in this. Speaking of another Roslyn High School graduate that we can bring on for some insight, someone that I went to high school with does this like autobiographical therapy, which is like, I don't know too much about it, but it's basically like therapy through writing the story of your life. And like, how do you write that story? And how do you, you know, so if this woman is writing this story, she's writing a really negative, really judgmental version of the story of her life. So maybe she could consider rewriting the story in a way, like you said, when you look back on your 20 somethings and all of the angst that you had, now you can look back and realize how much you learned from that. So if she can do the same thing, it might just like change the perspective of kind of everything has led to now. And yeah, that's a great, I was, I was going to say something very similar. It's like, let's say we, let's say we rewrote this story for her in a way that again, didn't sound like a very sad handwritten book. Um, like <laughs> let's say like that because like the facts of this, the, what are the facts, right? And I've done this in therapy. It's like, what are the facts? You dated someone on and off that didn't work out and you kept going back to a bad situation. Fine. Yep. Fact you ended it and got out of that situation while still in your childbearing years. Yes. And then now you've got a great job. You're, you know, you're fit. It sounds like she does a lot of, (laughs) I assume she's, there's, she's active. She's fit. She loves, she has a lot of energy for adventures. Sounds like she's going on a solo trip by herself. She's financially secure. Yes. A great dating prospect. Now with this, all this knowledge that she has about herself from dating this person that I assume if she's done like the work in therapy, she can at least have gotten something out of it. Like I think about what I've gotten out of, out of my situationship. And it is like a, a sense of a figure, forget like the relationship to him. It's more about like me and answering the questions for me of why was I so attracted to that? Why did I go back to that? What do I want differently in the next person? What is it that again, kept bringing me back what felt good about it? And what does that say about my own tendencies is a much more interesting question yes. um, than, you know, why didn't it work out with this person? So I think that like the story that we told sounds like a lot better. Totally. Right. And I think there's, yeah. And I think if you can, because there's a million ways that you can interpret this and that one sound is just as true, more true probably than the one she came up with. And it probably makes her feel a lot better. So why not go with the one that's more true and actually makes you feel better um, than the one that's super negative and judgmental and makes you feel like crap? So, Right, because who's to say one is any better than the other? Right. Yeah, I think there's a lot of judgment going on for her, for other people, you know, for how she wants her wanted her life to turn out. And I think a lot of people can relate to this concept of like, the feeling, the feelings is like grieving the loss of the life that you envisioned. And that is a real thing for a lot of people. You know, granted, she's like you said, she's still young enough. She could still have biological children and, you know, birth them herself if if she wanted to. But I think the way she envisioned it and the timeline, there is some part that you probably need to really like lean into just grieving. This isn't turning out the way I wanted it to turn out. But I owe it to myself to kind of take stock in what, what what is working and be willing to change the plan. If you're not willing mm-hmm. to change the plan, 
even when you have the kids, you're going to end up in this same position, like we right. always talk about. You're going to have the kids. You wanted a girl instead of a boy. You wanted a kid who was really smart, and you have a kid that's mentally challenged. You wanted, you know, Anything, to have two yeah. kids, and you only have one kid. What, whatever it is, you have to be willing to like change the plan, or you're going to perpetually be moving from one disappointment to another. Right. And this won't be the last, even if she met someone tomorrow and got married, that wouldn't be the last thing that didn't go according yes. to her plan. Yes. And, and again, I wouldn't beat yourself up for it. Because I think, I mean, we were just talking about that in the beginning of this episode. Like, I think everyone struggles with that to an extent of wanting things to go a certain way. It maybe goes a different way. And then instead of like just constantly being like triggered by the way that it, that you know by things that remind you of the way that it could have been if you can like yes. find empowerment in a different story then you're sort of invincible to you know someone mentioning an egg freezing right or seeing a picture of something that makes you feel bad right and i think it really all boils down in practicality right how do we do this to becoming aware of your own mind and like reprogramming your own mind. We are programmed like this. Unfortunately, you know, I think I've said this on here before, we're not really programmed for happiness. We're programmed for survival. If we want happiness, we have to like reprogram the machine. You know, we have to say, okay, so we got survival. Like we have a house, we're not in danger. We live in a safe place. We have enough food. Like we've got all that but our brain is still designed to look out for all the threats. So if you don't catch yourself looking out for these threats that may or may not even exist, you're going to keep leading with that mindset. So for her to just pause and say, okay, I feel something in my body. It feels like anxiety. It feels like disappointment. It feels whatever it feels. And just pause again, coming like we talked about a couple episodes ago, creating an intention of how I want to move forward with a different program than the one that I've been working with, because the program that I've been working with is not really leading me towards happiness. So the reprogramming is, you know, changing the story, being able to go with the flow, being able to accept things that are not going the way that you wanted it, wanted them to go, but that's not going to happen automatically. If you don't put effort into it, guarantee it's not going to change. Yeah. And I think those struggles that now seem just like devastating, like a Shakespearean tragedy can wind up being things that actually like make you a stronger, more interesting, better person. Like totally. I started my whole You Up podcast because I was like plagued for years on with dating and just yes. felt like, you know, and then that makes you a more relatable person. That makes you someone who understands what it's like to go through certain things. Totally. So, and maybe this writing this, you know, email into oversharing could be the start of like, I am using my struggle for something good because you wrote in, we're reading your email. Hopefully a lot of people are going to learn from this and at least feel like that relatable experience of, I also am 35 and single and, you know, sad about having to freeze my eggs and I spent too long in a bad relationship. You are not the only one. So I'm, I'm glad that you're sharing the story. Other people I'm sure can relate to this. And hopefully you can use this as an opportunity to say, I can't keep living in this sad story narrative. I have to change the narrative. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high end stuff? I have a solution for you. Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. 
Newly is a subscription clothing rental service. For just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles each month. You choose whatever you want to rent for whatever you have going on. It's totally up to you. Access to thousands of styles from more than 400 brands. There's no fees, late fees, damage fees, or fees to pause or cancel. So it's no big deal if you lose a button, spill something, or you just need to take a break. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X as well as petite and maternity. Get fast free shipping and returns and professional cleaning in newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. Newly is a great value at $98 a month for any six styles. But right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code OVERSHARING20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com, that's Newly with two U's, and enter the code OVERSHARING20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com, Newly with two U's, with code OVERSHARING20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. All right, let's get into our next Betch Assist email. Do you want to read it? Yeah, sure, I'll read it. Dear Jordana and Dr. Naomi, when is it okay to be the ex who pops back in with an apology? I feel really bad about the way things ended with an ex about a year and a half ago. In this situation, I'm the asshole ex who quiet quitted the relationship. There was another guy at the time who happens to be my current boyfriend. And while no physical lines were crossed during, there was definitely some emotional cheating going on that I'm sure my guy at the time picked up on. I blamed him a lot as the reason for my turning away, but through a lot of deep self-reflection, I realized that I have more responsibility in the situation than I thought. We only dated for about six months, and while part of it was a little toxic on both of our parts, we shared some really good memories that I want to honor. For more context, he reached out about a year ago, shortly after things ended, saying that the way things ended left a sour taste to which I did not respond. I'm in a happy and healthy relationship now, and from what I can see on social media, it looks like my ex is too. So my question is, when is it okay to be the asshole ex that reaches out with an apology? Is it ever worth clearing the air for both of our sake, or would this be purely for selfish reasons? Thanks a bunch, feeling like an actual fetch. Hmm. Good question. (laughs) When is it okay? I feel like the first place to start is like to ask yourself who it's for. Right. And like, what is the outcome that you want from it? And what are the potential negative repercussions of it? I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, she hasn't, she has a boyfriend, so that's a factor. And she probably would, you know, have some kind of conversation with him about it. I would think if they have some good emotional intimacy Mm -hmm. um, that she's thinking about this and feeling badly, but it sounds like this is my perspective. It sounds like she kind of gaslit him at the time. Like she was kind of seeing someone else, but she made him think that it was something that he was doing. Right. And that it might be kind of her to let him know that if that's how she's feeling. I think if, you know, if they're both in relationships and it's there's no ulterior motive, right? It's not like she's trying to get him back or pull him away from the person he's dating, or it's just simply this kind of apology. Like I did something that wasn't kind, and maybe that's left you feeling a way about yourself that you I don't think you should. And I'd like some closure that doesn't feel like whatever it felt like at the time, which I think she was just probably happy to just be done with it. Right. So she could go and be with this other guy that she didn't really seem to care 
I don't think morally this is a Betches' question, right? I think at the time she probably didn't act in the most like moral way about it, just kind of like, I need to get out of this. And the easiest way is to tell him that he did a bunch of stuff that I didn't like and I'm breaking up with him. Yeah. So she feel like, right. At the time, she kind of just did what she needed to do to get out and not feel her, not accept any blame, I guess. I mean, I wonder how would you feel now if like, some guy that you were in this one of these situationships with or some guy from the past came back and was like, you know what, I gaslit you. I was really like, you know, dating someone else or I whatever. And I was just stringing you along. And I'm, I'm really sorry. And I now have done a lot of self-reflection. I realized that that wasn't kind. And I just wanted to apologize. I think I would be, that would be nice. Yeah. I've actually, I've written an email like that if I'm, like uh being honest to someone that i did to an ex-boyfriend of mine because i remember since you were in your current relationship no this was like again like six months after it ended maybe and it was like we had dated for like two years maybe and then i think it like kind of on and off and then at the at our last encounter i had said some really mean like very below the belt very like gross things to him and then i mm-hmm. think that also that prompted him to say probably not the kindest things back to right. me and then i think it was about six months i guess is the time you need for reflection i think it this this was while i was right. in college and it was still and i did think about that and i thought about like the the kind of person that i felt like i was when i did that and i didn't like that yes and i didn't want to be like that to be just the end of who he thought i was especially because like you said the listener writes there were good times and she did have good memories. And I wrote him an email and I was like, I'm really sorry for the things I said the last time that we spoke. No one deserves to be spoken to like that. I was really upset. And that's whatever the the excuse was, was not an excuse. No one should ever speak to anyone like that. And I just want you to know that I'm really sorry. And, um, you know, we had a, a good relationship and I just wanted there to be no hard feelings or, send, or basically, right. basically something like that. And that was it. And it was like pretty nice. And he responded like very nicely. Right. Yeah. I mean, when I read this, my initial feeling was like, I think she should go for it. I think it's always nice to own your own shit if you are self-aware enough to come to that. I don't think there's really any harm that can come from it. Like you said, as long as she's not trying to interfere in his relationship or like throw a wrench in his life or, you know, get him back or something or, you know. I think an email is nice too. Because yeah. it like doesn't require the other person to be like immediately responding and they can choose not to respond. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I could see that. I think it would be, I think it is for him and for you. I think for you, it allows you to like be the person that you want to be now, even if you weren't the person that you wanted to be then. Like, I think a lot of people stay stuck in sort of like, even like the, you know, the original overshare of like, you know, I was this person and I can't really, I still am blaming or judging myself for being that person where it's like, well, today you're a completely different person than you were at that time. And you don't have to stay stuck in that. And an apology and taking ownership is a great way to kind of like close that chapter and really feel like, okay, I'm a different person. I did everything I could. And especially since he had reached out to her and said that he didn't like the way that it ended and then she ignored him. Right. Clearly, this is something that he would probably appreciate. It wasn't like when it was over, he was like, never talk to me again. And now she's like inserting herself into his life. Right. 
Right. Yeah. He probably has done a lot of mental gymnastics to try to understand what happened there. And this might just, you know, first of all, make him realize that he probably wasted a bunch of mental energy and time on like trying to figure out what happened there. But he reached out and said, I have a you know bad taste in my mouth. She ignored that. That I'm sure didn't feel good. And he probably felt very uncared for after they had a, you know, a relationship. So yeah, I don't see any drawback in letting him know and kind of clearing your conscience and giving him a little peace of mind that he's not crazy. I agree. All right. Oversharing is aligned. Send the email. Let us know how it goes. (laughs) All right. Should we play some triggered? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. I'll read the first one. Hi, Jordan and Dr. Naomi. Oversharing is my favorite podcast, and I'm grateful for the thoughtful insight and advice you both provide. This incident happened when my boyfriend and I were on a long flight to Maui to celebrate his 30th birthday. While falling asleep, I reclined my seat and a middle-aged woman sitting behind me demanded that I put my seat back up because she wasn't sitting in an extra comfort seat like I was, though we were both sitting in identical extra comfort seats with above average legroom. I was caught off guard from being half asleep, so I apologized and immediately straightened my seat. Later on, I decided to recline my seat because I thought the woman hadn't provided a reasonable justification for requiring more space. We're both on the shorter and slimmer side. She wasn't traveling with children. She wasn't working on a laptop, etc. About an hour later, I woke up to her aggressively and persistently kicking and pushing my seat forward with her hands. I normally would have spoken up, but I didn't want to cause a commotion as I thought she would tire out shortly. (laughs) (laughs) That's very funny. However, this behavior continued for about an hour. I went back and forth in my head about asking her to stop or getting the stewardess involved, but I decided not to as we were close to landing and I didn't want to start our trip off on a negative note. How triggered should I have been and what are your thoughts on adults throwing tantrums? Thanks for all that you two do. Broken back bench from the unsolicited back massage. <laughs> this story's crazy. An hour? That's she crazy. Kicking her chair for an hour. I mean, who hasn't gotten their chair kicked a little bit when they put the, the chair back? I've definitely had that happen to me. Not for an hour. Have you had that? Right. No, well, I do this move. I don't know if you can relate to this, but I do this move for like, I like to sit kind of crunched up when I'm on the plane, like sort of like a fetal position. Fetal position. Yeah. So I need to put my knees up on the seat in front of me. So I kind of like do like a gradual pushing. So like I'll crunch up. I put my knees on the seat in front of me. And then like over the course of a minute, I like release the gradual pressure so that like <laughs> then <laughs> so that they won't notice that my legs are on the back of their chair. It usually works out well. I've done that. I li- I also like, maybe that's a genetic thing. I also like to sleep in that position. Or sometimes I right. like to put my feet like in the corner, right, like, like where the armrest is yeah. <laughs> so that they have something to like lean against. I'll do the corner yes. of the seat in front right. of me. But I mean, it, this is crazy. I would, I think if you're, you're allowed to recline the seat, if they didn't want people doing that, they wouldn't have allowed for that functionality. I'm very I much totally team. Agree. Put your seat back as far as, as it will go. As far as it goes. Yep. That's yeah. your desert. That's the space you paid for. You paid for the space with the recline as far back as it can possibly go. That's your territory. If at that point someone is, you know, if it's all the way back, you know, and, and then you're like kicking the seat in front of you, like you're not allowed to kick the seat in front of you. That's not your space. Your space is right. the space that you have where you're not touching the seat in front of you and your seat is back as far as it can go. That's your allotted space. The yeah. Engineers decided 
we got to go with them. That's the space that they gave you. I don't care if you have kids or a laptop or. Yeah, that's very nice of her to even think of that. (laughs) Right. That's, you know, that's not really your problem. I agree with this. Take it up with the engineers. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) If someone's six foot nine, that's a sad thing for when you're flying on a plane, but there's benefits. Get an extra legroom (laughs) seat. Save up. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I I totally agree. Would you have said something? So my other thought was, I would like to talk to her about being able to set boundaries. If there is someone that is invading your space for an hour, kicking your seat and moving it aggressively back and forth, she I definitely think that she needs to have turned around and said, can you please stop touching the back of my seat? I would definitely have said something at this point. I mean, kicking you? the seat is crazy. I, In theory, I'm like, I agree with you. That's what should be done. But I also kind of feel like I would have the same mental hurdle as the listener being like is it worth it should i say anything does it really matter maybe she'll just like tire herself out right, i don't really feel over. like right, right. i like don't want to like bad massage when you're kind yeah. of like you know I don't oh, s- <laughs> maybe she'll stop soon yeah. maybe <laughs> i don't want to say it to this woman and then i see her when i go to the bathroom and she gives me a look like i don't like right i i do understand why it would be really difficult to say something, especially if like her message wasn't received in a right. constructive way. This sounds crazy. I mean, I'm reading yeah. this back over. Like, what does she write? Kicking and pushing my seat forward with her hands. Like she's That's literally crazy. Yeah. pushing and kicking her seat like a tantrum. Unacceptable. I think this woman yeah. needed to just at least, she didn't have to turn around and yell. She could just, very calmly turn around and say, can you please stop pushing my chair? That's fair. Right. Yeah. That's a good practice for boundary setting. As you said, it's funny that at first when she did it, she would just like immediately put it up and then was like, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That I could see. I probably would have done that. Like just out of instinct, like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm like upsetting this person. Let me fix it. And then realize afterwards, like, wait, no, I like, this is my seat. Right. I could, you know, yeah, I would have yeah. done the same thing where I could see where she'd be like, oh, I've already said, okay, now should I go back? Right. Yeah. But this is annoying. I would give this, I don't know if it's so much triggering as yes. like, just like a very uncomfortable situation to be in. Yeah. It's like kind of absurd more than triggering. I agree. For triggering, as far as like your deep wounds, I'd give it like a two, but for yeah. like absurd unacceptable like normal human behavior i'd give it like an eight i can't agree (laughs) (laughs) yeah and if you're a person who gets mad at people for putting their seat back you're the problem just if anyone's (laughs) listening if anyone's listening and wasn't sure and wants to write in in defense of those people i'd love to hear it crazy to me that this is still like a debate like everyone is entitled to put their seat back yeah that's it agree all right let's do another one okay read that okay Hi, Jordana, Naomi, love the pod. I have a triggered question for you. I'm deaf in my left ear and have been since I was 17, 21 years. My friends are all great about sitting to my right, talking into my right ear, etc. My mom, however, is not. When we go to a restaurant, movie, etc., I always need to tell her to sit on my right side. Constantly have to remind her not to whisper into my left ear. If my <laughs> friends can whisper right. into her ear. <laughs> Sorry. if my friends can be aware of this how can my own mom not it bothers me on a deeper level like i don't feel seen by her or somehow important enough that she can't remember this thing 
that is not new and is a frustrating and difficult part of my life. How triggered can I be? I could see this being triggering, especially because it's like, as she, as she appropriately names it, it's like a reflection of her mom, like just like not really feeling like her mom cares enough to like know or remember that she has to speak into her right ear. Right. You know, this is a frustrating, difficult part of my life. I think just not feeling like her mom understands that, you know, maybe this was something that, you know, she feels like, okay, I've come to terms with the fact that my daughter is deaf in her left ear and like, we have to move on. But like every single day, this is something that she continuously has to deal with. And it sounds like the mom is not showing her that she's aware that this is something that is an every single day struggle that she has to deal with. And her lack of remembering probably signifies that. So I could see this. It's almost like if you have a child that's handicapped and then you just keep making reservations at restaurants that have stairs. Right. I was just like, I'm not aware of like enough of you and this daily thing that you have to deal with that I can't even become aware of it during this small discrete period of time that i'm spending with you right and then you make it the other person's like problem because now they have to like shift into yeah i could agree with that that's very i would give that like a seven or an eight yeah i would give i would give this one also an eight i just not i mean not even because okay she could say to her hey mom i can't hear from that ear remember you know, like she <laughs> she could say that to her. And I guess it's not about the actual thing. It's about the lack of acknowledgement of this, like, you know, daily struggle that she has to go through. Right. So. And just the lack of showing that she, what do you want? I think from your parents, I would assume more than a lot of other people is the feeling of that you're like known and special yes. and care. Yes. And by like continuously, even after you're corrected to do the same thing, it just shows like, I'm not that invested in like, mm-hmm. in you not having to deal with this. Right. Yeah, that's another good point. It's like not just about her not remembering, it's about her telling her, reminding her repeatedly and this feeling of like she just doesn't care that this is something that's upsetting me and she's going to think about a lot of other things throughout the day, but not this. Right. I agree. That's very annoying. All right, let's do one more. By way of background, my partner and I got engaged about seven weeks ago. We're both 30 and have been together over two years and we were so excited to be taking this next step together. My fiance was engaged once before back when he was in college. He is not a U.S. citizen, but went to college in the United States and wanted to stay. So was considering a green card marriage to a close friend. It was not a real relationship, though, and he couldn't go through with it. So they called it off. So to my triggered situation, my future mother-in-law has not sent us an engagement gift and has not even sent me a nice text, despite having been almost two months since the proposal. But from our fiance's last engagement back in college, she did send a sweet engagement gift to him and his then fiance. How triggered can I be? I wonder how she even like knows that. Knows that. Yeah. Right. I was wondering that too. I guess he must have told her maybe he's upset about it too. I don't know how that would even come up. I, you know, unless there's more to it about her relationship with her soon to be mother-in-law, I don't think this is a big deal. It was 10 years ago. Maybe she had a totally different lifestyle. Maybe she had more time on her hands. I wouldn't take this one too personally unless there's something more to it. I agree with that. It's kind of like she's, she's comparing it directly as if they happen like simultaneously and one person was favored and the other one wasn't. This could just be like not the way that she communicates. But she's saying she communicated that way then. So like, why isn't she communicating that way now? By sending a gift? I mean, maybe she will send a gift, right? How long have they been right. engaged? 
two months, almost two months. So yeah, maybe she, he doesn't, it was 10 years ago. So maybe he doesn't remember the timeline. Maybe it was longer after they were engaged yeah. that she sent the gift. I think it, this is not a, Unless, Maybe they had again, an engagement party. Right. <laughs> Although I doubt it from the <laughs> way that he's that phrasing it. Yeah. Right. I, I think unless there's more to it that you feel like there's a rift between you and the mother-in-law or there's you know some kind of conflict there, I think a lot of things change in 10 years in terms of like your financial situation or your, you know, what you're what else you're distracted by. Or, you know, at that point he was in college, so he could have been like 19. So she's probably still buying his underwear. You know, so maybe she bought him an engagement <laughs> gift for him. She was yeah. at the, uh, you know, at the store. So I think there's probably a very different relationship. It's been a long time. I don't think it's comparing apples and apples. That's my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Unless, like, again, the issue is that she feels like she truly is not happy about the engagement, which is a different thing. Otherwise, right. like, who cares about a text? It's like for me, I'd be like grateful one less text to answer. Right. <laughs> one less thank you note to have to write. Yeah. Right. Exactly. I would rate this one low. I don't know. What about you? Yeah, I'd give it a three. I wonder how like she found out about the other. Maybe he's maybe the fiance is like riling her up. <laughs> yeah, that is weird that he even remembers the card and the note. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, that's weird. I would ask him more about I would if, if you're I think if she's feeling triggered by this, I would ask him more about like what he thinks it is. Yes. Yeah, because the fact that he not only remembers that she wrote a sweet, you know, that she did send a sweet engagement gift. The fact that he kind of remembers that, brought it up, is letting her know, like, maybe he's feeling a way about this. I agree. That might be some good conversation to have there. Yeah. I would say the best way to get in good graces with your mother-in-law isn't to yell at her for not sending you a text or <laughs> gift, though. Right. Yeah. Okay. I agree. All right. I we did it. We, uh, we helped all these people. I'm always down for updates. I don't know if, do you ever get any updates? You, you kind of check the mail more than I do. Not a ton. If you guys are, if you've written in and we've answered your question, you've followed our advice, please write in. Sometimes I get DMs of people who have done that. So I could probably screenshot those. I think I have gotten an update from someone with a DM. But anyway, anyway, you want to give us an update, you can email oversharing at com, Or if you have a question, you can send that in there too. Or if you want to give us an update via voicemail, our phone number is 646-363-6294. All right. Quick reminder, if anyone wants to write an intention for themselves or kind of oh, yes. work on that, I would be happy. If you want to give us some details, like I said last time, you can notice your pattern thoughts, notice your pattern fears, maybe let us know what some goals are for your life and we can help kind of give you that intention to follow when things feel like they're getting sticky. So I would love to help with that. But as for today, I think uh, that's our time. Great work today. Oversharing is produced by Sean Kilby, Jorge Morales-Pico, and Rebecca salz McCaff. Editing by Basilio Perez. Guest booking by Ali Friedlander. Send your advice emails to oversharing at Betches.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-363-6294. Batches.